0: Eric. Hi, Kate. I'm really excited to welcome um, Dr. Um, Amanda Dimitri who is the director of breast care and a breast radiologist from York Hospital today.
1: Yeah, we're going to have a great time chatting with her today about her program at York Hospital, uh, breast screenings, uh, and everything folks need to know uh, as they navigate the screening process for breast cancer. So I look forward to that conversation. But before we get into that, let's do some hospital updates.
0: That sounds good. Hi, I'm Kate Ford.
1: And I'm Eric Fogg.
0: Welcome to C-Town. In each episode, we will discuss all things York Hospital, past, present, and future, as well as current medical topics to help us navigate that sometimes confusing world of health care. Got some lunch and learns coming up, right?
1: We do have a, two lunch and learns that are on tap. So the first one is uh, Dr. Michael Moorwood, who is going to be talking about robotic assisted hip replacement. Uh, the date of that is Friday, March 20th um, from 12 to 1, and it will be at the York Public Library in the community room, and that's on uh, 15 Long Sands Road here in York. Um, so ask you to get there a little bit early, 1145, so you can grab a seat. Um, that should be a great conversation.
0: And they have some, they have lunch, right? They have lunch. lunch
1: It's a lunch and learn. Did you already say that? I don't know what they're serving (laughs) for lunch, but, uh, I'm sure if it's it's anything York Hospital sponsored, right, you're going to probably eat pretty well. That's right. Uh, the second one is, um... Uh, Dr. Kerr, who is our urogynecologist, is doing a conversation, another Lunch and Learn, on pelvic floor disorders, and that is March 24th, uh, 11 to 12, in Sanford at the Trafton Senior Center, Uh, so check that out. If you have any questions about that uh, or any of our upcoming Lunch and Learns, please call the fundraising office, 207-351-2385.
0: Or check them out on... Uh, www.yorkhospital.com. Website. Yeah, our
1: website does a a great job at promoting upcoming events. Uh, other updates.
0: Yeah. Did you know that March is called Colon Cancer Awareness Month?
1: Everyone knows that, Do right? They? <laughs> okay. I don't know. They should now, right? Uh, so yeah. So uh, Colon Cancer Awareness Month. So reach out to your primary care doc. Um, <clears throat> About uh, information about that, when you should have your colonoscopies, and uh, how to stay current uh, with that. Screenings
0: so, save life. That's right.
1: That's right, and that's a great uh, dovetail into our conversation today. But one more update. So, if everyone remembers correctly, who's been listening to our podcast since the beginning, um, me and Kate share several things in common, including working at York Hospital. However, both of our daughters play college women's lacrosse, and uh, as of recording, this is being recorded the last week of February. We'll probably uh, publish this in mid-March, but uh, as of now, the college lacrosse season has started officially. officially started. You guys, um, Kate's daughter, Emma, plays at Wheaton College in Norton, Mass. My daughter plays at Springfield College in Western, Mass. Uh, We started last Saturday. Uh, We won our first game. And you guys start tomorrow, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Who do you play tomorrow?
0: We play um, Roger Williams. Oh,
1: great, great. And we play each other. When? I know when. Do you know when? No. Uh, it is uh, April, I want to say April 10th. It's mid-April, okay. and okay. we're playing at Wheaton College this year.
0: Excellent. All right, so that should be fun. Give us a little advantage over yep. your daughter's team.
1: <laughs> should be a good, should be a good season. Um, so anyway, let's get to our interview with Dr. Amanda Dimitri Lewis.
0: Before we do that, can we say that we're now on Instagram?
1: We can. We have a uh, Instagram uh, page. So if you um, follow Instagram, which is my favorite social media platform,
0: probably one of my favorites. Yeah. I like Twitter too. Do you? Yeah, I'm a Twitter. Yeah, tweeter.
1: But uh, check out Seatown Podcast on Instagram, okay. and please give us a follow. And uh, the great thing about it is it announces our upcoming podcast. There's some photos on there, uh, link to uh, downloading the podcast, so it's another great way to access our podcast.
0: Let's get going. Awesome.
1: So very excited to introduce our guest today. I consider Dr. Amanda Dimitri-Lewis a colleague and friend here at York Hospital. Um, our paths from walk-in and, and uh, breast care don't overlap really at all. Uh, however, we tend to bump into each other around the hospital and chit-chat from time to time. Um, quick little bio about Dr. Dimitri-Lewis. She did her undergrad at Boston College. Um, uh, go Eagles, right? Uh, she went to medical school right here in Maine in Biddeford at the University of New England. Go Northeasters. I think I got all my... Uh, Is that right? yeah. uh, she went on to do her internship in internal medicine at UMass Worcester her residency at Hahnemann University in Philadelphia, where she was chief resident, and did her fellowship uh, in women's imaging at Beth Israel <coughs> Hospital here in Boston. She is also board certified by the American Board of Radiologists. So welcome, Dr. Dimitri Lewis, to our podcast.
2: Thank you, thank you for inviting me. Uh,
1: very excited to chat with you. I will start this interview off with a personal story, uh, and you neither one of you probably know this, but in 1983, when I was just a youngin, I remember vividly my parents calling me and my sister um, into, I guess, what you'd call a family meeting uh, to tell us that my mother was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer in 1983. Which, at the time, the prognosis for stage three breast cancer uh, in the early 80s was certainly not what it is today. And as a 11, 12, 13-year-old. Um, I probably didn't appreciate the gravity of that at the time. It certainly wasn't great news, and it was scary news. Um, but I went on to watch my mother have a radical mastectomy, chemo, and radiation. And the chemotherapeutic drugs at the time were very you know, aggressive and harsh. And I watched my mother lose all of her hair and lose weight. And as a matter of <laughs> fact, in 1984, extended family members sent me and my family on what Was probably supposed to be our last family vacation to Hawaii. Now, my mother's still alive, and I just talked to her right before this podcast. uh, Thank you for adding. Yeah. uh, And uh, so in 2002, my mother was uh, diagnosed with a new primary. uh, breast cancer. So, my mother is a two-time breast cancer survivor. So, the notion of of breast cancer, breast screening, is certainly something personal uh, and sensitive to me, having seen that and gone through that. Um, and we've come a long, long way in in breast cancer, not only treatment but also screening. So, um, so to start this interview off, please tell us a little bit about the program that you direct, our, our breast care program. Let's just kind of start with an overview of that.
0: Sure.
2: Um, we have a center uh, here at York Hospital and we're expanding our service starting next Monday actually in Wells. And we are staffed exclusively by fellowship trained breast radiologists. So uh, right now it's my partner, Dr. Haltman and myself, and we did a specialty training in, in breast imaging which uh, is helpful to patients because it allows um, a more expert uh, doctor is reading their exam, which allows for earlier detection of smaller cancers, fewer callbacks, um, and uh, more smooth biopsies, et cetera. Um, With that uh, expert training, we also have a different delivery system of care than what you see in other hospitals in the Seacoast area and other hospitals north of us, and it's that we do what's called same-day results. And what that means is that um, my partner and I, we read all the mammograms, whether they're screening or diagnostic, which would be uh, a problem, like lump, nipple discharge, et cetera, but we read all these, case, all these cases, all these patient studies live, meaning we'll give you the results while you wait. So um, patients don't ha- do not go home. And two weeks later, get called that they need additional views. Um, we communicate to them right away if they need additional views, why, and we give them an answer the day of their exam.
1: I can imagine that that, just, that just reduces anxiety <laughs> quite a quite a bit.
2: That's the that's the goal. Is uh, this vision came about about twelve or so years ago, and it was a way, you know, how do we come up with what, what do the patients want, and that's that's what they wanted, and we're able to adopt this and. And get it to work, and patients seek out our service because because of the care we deliver.
0: And it's so it's been 12 years. It has. Since you've been reading the day of. Yep. Wow, I didn't know it was that long.
1: So let's talk about mammography for a second. So mammography is probably the cornerstone of breast screening. screening, Is that fair to say? And and the technology of that is kind of a low-dose kind of radiation uh, modality. And if you're watching TV, if you're following the news over the last, let's say, I don't know, it seems like a few years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, there seems to be some... um, I don't want to say controversy, it seems that different organizations make recommendations that have um, uh, different uh, age parameters to them, right? Exactly. So, So should I get a breast uh, mammogram at the age of 40? Should I get it at 50? If I have a family history, what does that mean and when should I do it? So let's clear the air, okay. so to speak, right? Let's clear <laughs> the air, so to speak, and, and let's talk about when is the appropriate time to begin uh breast screening with mammography? And you can kind of throw in those special populations of, of sure. you know, family history and whatnot. Exceptions
0: so, to yeah. the rule. Sure. Yeah.
2: So that's a great question, Eric, because there is a lot of misinformation out there, unfortunately. Um, the uh, single best parameters to follow, which is um, basically the academic, in, the academic colleges um, abide by, is to have an annual screening mammogram every year starting at age 40 and continuing that until your life expectancy is approximately five to 10 years or until you wouldn't act on it if you were diagnosed with a breast cancer. So patients who may not be very old but who have other conditions may not continue screening as old as someone who is more elderly but still goes out and has coffee with their friends, et cetera. And um, there was some confusion or misinformation approximately 10 years ago 2009 is really where it started and there's the United States Preventative Service Task Force came out with a new recommendation in 2009 for screening mammograms and what they said was that instead of annual mammograms starting at age 40 is women should have mammograms at age 50 to age 74 every other year and that's it and the misconception is that there was new data available to support that, which is not the case. There's no new data that supports that. In fact, the the facts um, prove quite contrary to that recommendation. Um, A couple of facts I can share include, um, so their recommendations would exclude women in their 40s to get annual screening. And if you look at women who are in their 40s, Breast cancer is the second leading cause of death in women in this decade, so it wouldn't make sense to exclude this population of women from from getting annual screening. Mm-hmm. Um, as you had said, Eric, with your mother being affected with breast cancer, it is an extremely common breast. It's an extremely common cancer. One in eight women in their lifetime will develop breast cancer. Women in their 40s, one in six women are in their 40s who develop breast cancer.
1: So my mother was thirty eight and I remember that. So yep. she was even slightly younger that even no slightly. family history, yep. wasn't a smoker, you know, not your typical kind of risk factor. So yeah. um, we're even seeing the disease in, in even younger in, women. Even
2: younger, exactly. Yep. So a good a good case to point out is that seventy five percent of women, the vast majority of women have no known family history of breast cancer when they're diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So women should not reserve uh, the thought of, well, it's not in my family, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be screened because, in fact, the vast majority of cases are diagnosed in women who don't have a family history of breast cancer. And just to sort of um, go back on the USPSTF's recommendation is important because they set the guideline for Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement and other insurers to follow suit. So if we were to follow their guidelines, then women in their 40s wouldn't be given access to screening. And the access would only be every other year, so as a result of that, uh, there's been a PALs Act um, that Congress has uh, has supported since you know for several several trials now of two years, and PALs stands for um, Protecting Access to Life-saving Screening. And in December of 19, they passed um, a bill that said that annual screening mammography starting at age 40 will be covered by all insurance. Right. Which yep. is
1: yes. nice. And when we when we talk about any medical test, particularly screening tests, in in our world of medicine, um, we talk about the terms sensitive and specific, right? Yes. So, yes. In, in layman's terms, if you're trying to evaluate whether or not somebody has a disease, if the person has a disease, you want a screening test that set, that when we test them, the test comes out positive. Um, you know, opposite of that, if a patient doesn't have a disease, you want the test to be negative, right? So we want to avoid false positives and false negatives. And I think one of the criticisms um, about screening tests, and this happened with uh, prostate screening with PSAs back in the day and, and comes up a little bit with mammography, is the overdiagnosis, right, and then the uh, subsequent invasive testings that occur with false positives that come about occasionally with mammography. You want to talk about that for a second?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you touch on a, on a couple of points. Is the um, s- screening mammography, so x-ray, is the way to best screen for, for breast cancer. And um, a while back, say when your mother was diagnosed, it was film screen, yep. and then it advanced to what's called digital mammography. And there was a s- study that showed that it was far superior to screen, screen film. And then in 2011, this what's called 3D or tomosynthesis has come out, and uh, York Hospital was the first hospital in Maine to have 3D or tomosynthesis offered for, for the state. And with tomosynthesis, which all of our patients receive at no additional charge, so all patients, if you come here, are going to receive 3D at, at no additional charge. But it's found to be even 30% more sensitive than the digital was and our recall rate decreased by about 30% as well. So the technology alone has helped quite a bit in in helping to um, to detect these cancers. Great. Right.
0: Right. And are people, um, are hospitals still using digital over the 3D, or are most people using 3D?
2: It, it depends on the hospital. We decided when we when we got 3D that we weren't going to have patients who can have it based on insurance and bas- patients who don't have it based on insurance, not have an insurance, so we just decided to offer it and to everybody and not have, say, a, a other hospitals in the area did you know, a, a copay, a $35, $50 copay if you wanted it. So um, it is offered around, around the seacoast, but not universally as it is here.
1: Okay. You mentioned when we started that you spend your entire day um, reading mammograms, talking to patients, but the other thing you read every day are ultrasounds. So yes. when when does a patient uh, require, or is it recommended that they get an ultrasound? Is it in addition to a mammogram where you see something that may or may not be abnormal and you want to evaluate it further? Is it somebody who has a, a different composition of breast tissue where it may be more dense and that sort of thing? You want to talk about that?
2: Absolutely. So you're correct in both cases, Eric. So when, when patients come into our center, um, the technologist will give them a very detailed and thoughtful questionnaire that we have them fill out, and in reading their mammogram, we're also doing a risk assessment of these patients to see if they're high risk or not. If patients are high risk, then besides an annual mammogram, we also recommend that they have an MRI performed six months after their mammogram. With the thought of they're at high risk for developing a breast cancer, we do a mammogram, say now in February, next February, we would do an MRI in August, and we separate them out, That way, if something did develop in the interim, we would find it smaller, which would give the patient the best chance for a cure. Um, Also, what we do is um, patients who have dense breast tissue, is there's a resolve in the state of Maine that if patients have dense breast tissue on their mammogram, then we should let them know. The reason for that is because dense breast tissue is white on a mammogram, and breast cancers are white on a mammogram, so it can obscure a cancer. Um, the tomosynthesis, which is the 3D, allows us what it is, is it's um, a series of one millimeter slices through the breast. So instead of looking at just four images, I look millimeter by millimeter, just like reading the pages of a book, and look through that dense breast tissue to see if there's a small mass hidden in the dense tissue, if there's uh, speculation or distortion. So that's how tomosynthesis has been so effective with that. So Let me go back. So patients who have dense breast tissue, uh, we inform them that they do. It may limit their mammogram, and if they want to, they can have an ultrasound as a second way to look through their breast tissue. Um, Besides that, so that would be considered a screening exam. If a patient has a new finding on their mammogram, say a, um, a mass, a speculation, um, or if they have complaints of nipple discharge or lumps, we will then, after the mammogram, go to ultrasound as well. And that's a very sensitive way to look at, at the breast tissue. On the mammogram, I may see a smooth mass. When I ultrasound it, if, it, if it's a cyst, it's a cyst. Sure. You know, if it's black and it has its certain guidelines met, it's a cyst. I can disregard it. If it's a new smooth mass but it's solid, I'm going to manage that very differently. Yep. So,
1: as part of um, uh, screening and whatnot. There is recommendations that women do monthly self-exams, and um, is what would you tell—I would imagine that if anyone feels anything abnormal on a breast cell, they, they get it evaluated and whatnot, but are there things um, that you would share with folks that are more concerning about— Things you may come across on a, on a self breast exam, and things that are still should probably be evaluated, but may not be as much of a red flag, so to speak.
2: Sure, sure. And I was in reviewing the guidelines. It does seem that there actually is a consensus to be aware of your breasts, but not necessarily to do breast exams. Yep. But patients who want to do them, um, how I how I tell them to do it is. Um, if you're if you're menstruating if you're of, of menstruating age you'd want to wait to the end of your period and do it at the same say the day after your periods end uh, once a month um, you know the same time because women's breasts do become they are cyclic at that age and some uh, lumps and bumps you know um, cycle through and so you know they would do a breast exam at three depths superficial depth middle pressure and deep pressure make sure you hit all quadrants and a lot of your some of your breast tissue is up in the, towards your axilla, towards your armpit area as well, and not to exclude that. And you're looking for a change. You're looking for something firm. It can be as small as a pea, you know. It can be very small, something that does not move, something that's fixed. Um, and then the other thing is if you had spontaneous, meaning coming out by itself, nipple discharge that's bloody or clear. Yep. Um, and again, there's a there's been a, a movement towards just breast awareness. Right. If you take screening mammography, a uh, woman who do her annual screening mammogram starting at age 40, typically we find cancers around the size of 6 millimeters to 10 millimeters. If you wait for a, a breast exam, it's usually on the order of 20 to 25 millimeters, which puts it into a, a, a higher stage. Yep, yep.
1: I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, my, my daughter was a locally a, a basketball player in Kennebunk and was... Um, Very, uh, she even participated in some of these games if they were playing Wells High School. Uh, The Wells Warriors um, uh, Shoot for a Cure program that Coach Donnie Abbott started 10 plus years ago. I've become very friendly with Coach Abbott and uh, um, I I got to see some of the amazing things that these girls have done. As a matter of fact, I bumped into Coach Abbott this basketball season and I. I didn't know the backstory of what started him wanting to do that, and he shared with me 10 years ago um, uh, a member of his basketball team, one of the young ladies on his basketball team. His mother had recently been diagnosed with breast cancer, so they came together as a team and tried to figure out you know what they could do and whatnot, and that started what arguably can be one, considered one of the really coolest fundraising initiatives that we've seen here at, at yes. York Hospital in quite yeah, some time. Yeah, they've done amazing, amazing work. Yeah, and, and as of this year alone, I, I think they did that program a m- month ago or so. They, d- they did at Wells in High January. School in January yes. and, and raised an additional... Um, $30,000 30, that yeah. was going to bring this total up to almost $300,000. Yes. Yeah, and
2: for our Living Well Fund. Yeah, yes. so
1: and we're going to talk about that in our next podcast a little bit, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on on what that program has afforded uh, your breast center and, and the things that you do every day.
2: Absolutely. Um, so that, that fund goes into a su- survivorship uh, fund for our patients. So if, whether it's patients who um, might need uh Wigs or hair wraps um, who might need some type of a prosthesis. Um, Patients who need funding for gasoline to get to their appointments for groceries. Um, It applies uh, funding towards uh, healthy healthy eating. Um, Things like uh, like walking classes, yoga classes, you name it. It's it's a wellness program for not just our breast cancer survivors, but the cancer survivors at, at York Hospital. And their dedication has been amazing. Yeah. We recently um, dedicated the Wells facility to the Wells um, Warriors Girls Basketball team, and we're excited to be expanding our service to include a doctor up there, as well as the ultrasound and biopsy capabilities up there, which is which is excellent. That's so, terrific. outstanding, yeah. outstanding.
1: So we. Um, are winding down on our time here. This is a conversation and we'd love to maybe even have you back at some time that we probably could have talked for an hour or two on and there's so much to kind (laughs) of cover. But uh, on that note, is there anything that, um, anything that you wanted to share as we kind of wrap this up that maybe we didn't touch on perhaps? Or did we hit all the salient points? that we we
2: hit um, most most of the, <laughs> the salient points, just to, to, to reiterate, is um, the best way to, to save the most lives. So screening mammography, pre-screening to after screening, there's been a 40% reduction in mortality once we introduce screening. And that's all ages. So women who should start at age 40, because those tend to be the most aggressive cancers. And um, if you if do wait, we'll lose a lot of lives. They speculate if we only followed the... U.S. Preventative Service um, Guidelines, um, about another 5,000 women per 100,000 would die each year. So that's about 100,000 women in that decade.
1: And the best way to direct folks to your center, call the hospital, call Mm -hmm. the switchboard, and and get this scheduled. Um, You guys work... Um, five days a week? Yes, Um, we're open five days a week. We have two facilities. Soon, you said, in Wells, we're kind of ramping that service up there. So you have two locations that you can get these screenings performed in and a lot of flexibility with time and whatnot.
2: we're accessible. And we have um, nighttime appointments as well.
0: Wow. I just had one question. I know we need to, is um, how young would somebody start screenings if there was a history? That's a
2: great question. Um, so typically, you start 10 years younger than an affected first-degree relative. Okay. So Eric, if your mother were 38 yep. and you have sisters, yep. um, you would think 28, but typically we would start mammography at 30, but MRI can start at age 25. Yep.
0: Amazing. Okay, yeah. good. Great, excellent. Wanted that on the record. Yep. That was a great I question. I also think that question. when you were saying that um, the age was 74, mm-hmm. I feel like 80 is the new 55. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my new thing. Oh, yeah. And I think my mom, who is um, 82, you know, she's a young 82, mm-hmm. so she should continue. But I know a lot of people, when they get into the 80s, they stop. And we had a neighbor stop, and she came down with breast cancer and ultimately passed away because of that. So I would say if you're a young 80, keep mm-hmm. going, right?
1: great reminder yeah. well can't thank you enough for coming on to welcome. uh thank to our to me. our podcast we loved having you and and thank you for all you do at york hospital and the great you program are. that you run you and your team you have a great group there uh sure. i find myself popping in from time i just like the uh the collegiality of everyone that works so hard in there and that and uh, so thank you
0: you're welcome thank, we thank you all better too thank Excellent. you <laughs>
1: So, Kate, that was a great conversation with Dr. Amanda Dimitri-Lewis. Again, this was kind of personal to me, given my family history. Um, what did you think of the conversation?
0: I am amazed, first of all, how quickly our podcasts are going because when we first started, 30 minutes felt so long, and yeah. now I feel like we just started and sure. we're done sure. with her conversation. So I would love for her to come back. Um, yeah, so that was that was really helpful. And I think the pre-screening when you have a history in the family is is key.
1: I think she really did a good job clarifying, too, those guidelines and when it's appropriate to start your screenings. If you kind of browse out and, you know, a lot of people go to doc, what I call Dr. Google, right? They go out to the Internet looking for answers and that sort of thing. There can be some misinformation. So uh, I think she really clarified that that nicely. So yeah. it was really great to have her.
0: I'm amazed that they give your results the day of. So. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I know that makes a big difference. Service. I have a,
1: my wife uh, gets her screens done here and, and she comments on how, you know, you, you leave your hospital knowing the results of your test. That's right. Done, right? As opposed to waiting. So uh, again, nice thank, you, thank you for listening to this uh, most recent episode of C-Town Podcast. Uh, if you uh, like this episode, please give us a like. Um, and Please be sure to check out our Instagram page, again, at ctownpodcast.com. Well, it's not .com. On Instagram, it's just at, at c- Yeah, so check that out as well. So thanks again for listening and look forward to future shows.
0: Thanks, Eric. You're welcome.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Seatown. We hope you found it of interest and would love to hear from you about topics you'd like to learn more about. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find episodes by clicking c button on the homepage of yorkhospital.com. By listening to this podcast, you're agreeing not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own provider for any medical issues that you may be having. Seatown is a production of Darcy Creative in a collaboration with York Hospital. Copyright 2020.